Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 46. We'll only be in Genesis 46 very shortly as we're going to be jumping into 47. Um, we're only a few chapters away from being done in Genesis. Or as you see in Genesis, there's Genesis chapter 50. And the last verse in chapter 50 is 24. So we're not too far off from being done in Genesis. So you may wonder, what will we do when we're done in Genesis? Well, we'll keep plowing the field and going right into Exodus. As we'll see the amazing hand and the work of God all in Exodus. Just like we've seen in the book of Genesis as God has provided for his people. Now remember as we spoke about last week, Joseph has ordered his brothers to go back and bring his, his father Jacob back to the land of Egypt. And now Jacob leaves and he, he stops by Beersheba and God meets him along the way and encourages him. It's good when God encourages his people. It's good to meet on a Wednesday night to have your faith encouraged. I know and I know most of you pretty well as we come to church tonight, it's not a social meeting. We didn't come to get spaghetti. We didn't show up to see who was wearing what like we were at the Emmys or the Oscars. We didn't come to gossip and see who was here, but we came to have a word spoken of to us from God. So saith the word of the Lord as when the preacher speaks the words of the Lord on the Lord's behalf being an instrument speaking the words of God tonight like a woodwind. The woodwind is no good. A flute is no good. A recorder is no good unless it's blown through. That doesn't make the woodwind special. Any woodwind can make a certain tone but the fact that it's blown through. When the preacher speaks tonight he's not speaking his opinion. He's not speaking on his own authority. He's not speaking from the book of opinions chapter 7 verse 6. He's speaking the very words of God because we believe that the word of God is our final authority here at River side. Now in verse 46, chapter 46, verse 28, we see that Jacob and Joseph are, are united. We talked about how on that blessed day, whenever we are with our master, our savior, Jesus Christ, we'll be at his feet and there'll be great weeping. We see in, in chapter 46 that Jacob and Joseph weep for a long time. And we can read in Revelation chapter 22, where God will wipe away every tear from every eye. You may be walking through this life carrying some kind of burden or oh, being longing for something, some, some kind of reconciliation. But there'll be a day of culmination where God himself will make all things right. There was a day when I actually wept. I had to explain to my children that babies die in the womb, that there's a such thing as abortion. Homosexuality exists. There's darkness out there. And it hurts and twists my heart that I had to explain those things to my own children. But there'll be a day when the great I Am will stand on the Mount of Olives and He will split the Mount of Olives and He will illuminate this whole earth and He will set up His kingdom here on this earth and He will forever reign and there will not be a dark corner in all of the earth as Jesus will reign forevermore. Amen. So what about until then? Why does God allow evil? Why does He allow wickedness? Why does He allow bad things to happen? Usually that's called philosophy. Why does God allow evil? But if we really, really, really examine what I'm saying here, why does God allow evil? Why does God allow any of us? Truly, we are evil. In His steadfast, long-suffering and grace, He allows us to walk around and breathe His air. Walk on His earth. 
use his oxygen to complain or praise his name. So God allows evil for our sake. But we won't always be evil. There'll be a day when we'll take off corruption and put on immortality. Come on, somebody. There'll be a day when He culminates all things and we will worship Him forever. We'll be like Him, changed in an instant in the blinking of an eye. Until that day, until that day, there'll be dark corners. But we'll keep praying. Like we said, we'll keep praying. We'll keep illuminating. I'll keep preaching and you'll keep coming and you'll keep reaching the world, telling somebody about this Jesus who died for sinners like me and you. Amen, somebody. Let's keep on going. So we see that Joseph and now Jacob are, are back together. The family is mended. And now in verse 1 of chapter 47, So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds are all, all their possessions and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And now they're in the land of Goshen. See, Joseph had been in a, a, a place of authority for quite a few years, maybe two or three years at this point. He knew enough how to, to, to show the Pharaoh the correct order and walk in wisdom. Just because you have divine favor with God doesn't mean that you don't need to work with men and women on your jobs. You need to walk in wisdom. Even Proverbs tells you to walk in wisdom. And all you're getting, get wisdom. And here, uh, he goes to Pharaoh and he... he trains and teaches his brothers what to say. He also showed honor to Pharaoh, even though this man who believes he's deity has been used by God like a pawn and a chess piece. This man who believes that he is the son of Ra, being an Egyptian god, now has the, the, the promised people at his feet thanking him. And you've heard me say it before, God will use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. An example would be, one day there was this woman on her porch. She was during the Great Depression, and it was out in the Dust Bowl, and there was nothing out in the middle of the uh, United States. And she was longing, and she was hungry, and she needed food or something to feed her family. And she sat on the porch. She cried out to God right there on the porch. She showed no shame, and there was no shame in her game. She just cried out to God, Oh Lord, oh God of creation, of heaven and earth, Lord, you can provide for me. You know my cupboards are bare. My refrigerator is empty. Lord, I need a touch and I need something. And two mean little youngins were walking by and they heard her. They were laughing. <laughs> Listen to that old crazy lady on the porch praying to God. I know what we'll do. We'll go over there to the general store and we'll buy a bag of flour. Let's do that. So they run over to the general store and they buy a bag of flour. And by the time they get back, they got the bag of flour on their shoulder. And they still hear her crying, crying out to God. And they, they go around to the side of the house and they climb onto the top of the house. And they throw the bag of flour right down in front of her. And she gives glory to God. She starts dancing and praising His holy name for she'll have substance that night. And while she's doing that, those mean little boys on top of that house start laughing. <laughs> you crazy old lady, we bought that flour. She turned around and said, you might have paid for it, but you will order by the hand of the Most High God. Amen. Using a crooked stick to draw a straight line. Sometimes what was meant to hurt you, God used it to promote you. Sometimes where, 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 where it looks like you're going to lose, God has his hands all over it. She gave glory to God even though those two little devils did it. She gives glory to God. 
So whatever's afflicting you, God's still going to get glory from it. In this situation now, all of the, the famine, all of the destruction now, God will receive glory because He preserves His family through Jacob and He preserves them through Joseph and the land of Egypt. So now He's there at the, 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 the courts of Pharaoh. In verse 2, And among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, and our fathers were, as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh in verse 4, We have come to sojourn in your land, for there is no pasture for our flocks, your servants. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now let, us ser let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob Bless Pharaoh. We'll look more at verse 7 in a moment. But we see here that the divine work of God already. For the Egyptians, they despised foreign, foreign shepherds. They thought they were detestable. And that's how God would keep His people separated from this very pagan people of the Egyptians. It, you know, we've, we say it here in America. If you're coming to America, learn our language. Become, come as one, of a, like an American. And we certainly don't see that here in the land of Egypt as God distinctly makes it in their culture where they'll be separated. As the Egyptians did not, did not hold shepherds in high regard, especially foreign shepherds. As they're over in a different part of the community, a different part of the nation, God was almost keeping His hand on His people to make sure they were not of the people. They're in the, in the world, but they're not of the world mostly like we as Christians are. We should be distinct from them. We should live differently than they do. We should speak differently than they do. We certainly see the line drawn into sand here and the different cultures here. As yes, there's only 70 souls, but they will soon rise up to be a nation within 400 years as God will greatly multiply these people. But how easy they could have been assimilated into the culture if God had not kept His hand on them to make sure they walk in His statutes and His laws, living in their culture, but also walking in the covenant that God has placed upon them. The same thing should be said of Christians. The same thing should be said of our churches. That our churches should not look so worldly that it looks just like the world. Think about it. There should be so much difference in us that the world longs to why we're different. If we're just like them, if we're living just like them, they won't see any difference in us. But there's a blessed hope in us. There's one who holds us and keeps us, who's faithful when we are not. Amen, somebody. Amen. So we see here the distinction now between the Egyptians all the way in chapter 47. You'll see that distinction shoot on into the next whole book of Exodus. There is a distinction between the Hebrew people and the Egyptians. Today, there's a distinction between the Christian and the world. If there's no difference between you and a worldly person, I would greatly question my faith. And wonder, wonder, are you even saved at all? Wonder, does God have you? 
or you have God. You should stand out. You never should blend in, ever. You should, I'm not saying you should walk into the room and just uh, everybody are drawn to you. I'm just saying your whole life should be different than those around you and your neighbors in your neighborhood. Now we see in verse number 7, then Joseph brings in Jacob. Jacob being around 114 years old at this point, I believe. Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. In verse 7, you must realize that the blessing always comes from the greater to the lesser. The greater one always blesses the lesser person or lesser person or being. God always blesses His people. There's even uh, uh, a point here where this Pharaoh is blessed by Jacob and it almost doesn't make sense. It seems like the Pharaoh should bless Jacob. He's a... He is one who believes he's deity. He is one who believes that he is a, a God. He's a, he's a dignitary. He's, a, he's royalty of the nation. But then it turns around and this little nomad shepherd man who has God all over him, he blesses Pharaoh. And all through the chapter of chapter 47, we see where God will bless Pharaoh immensely in the middle of this famine. Verse 8, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. There is his age, 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days and the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. We see here that here we see almost a melancholy Jacob. He is 130 years old and he just says, I have a few years compared to my ancestors and they have been evil. They've been hard is what he tells the Pharaoh. In all actuality, in the next chapter, Jacob will change his song. It's funny that mortality, when you're on your deathbed, truly, when you think about your life, you think about how good God has been to you. Yes, we all have our moods. We all have our, our days when we say, life is hard and it ain't fair. This is, this is just messed up. I'm going through the trials. I'm going through a valley. And God has just dealt me a hard hand. But truly, God has been good to us. Amen. I figured it would be a stronger amen, but that's all right. Here, Jacob says... My days have been short compared to my forefathers. My grandfather lived 185. My father 190 years. But I've only been here 130. But it's been a hard 130 years. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. And I have not attained to the years of the life of my fathers and the days of those sojourning. Notice in verse 9 he says sojourning because he has been promised that he'll get the land of Canaan. He's been promised by God that God says you will get this land. It will be yours and inheritance. But he has sojourned. He is walking through this life as a pilgrim much like believers do in our lives. We have a promise from God that He'll never leave us or forsake us, and He certainly has not. But He tells us that where I am, you will be there also. And we have not got there yet, but we are standing, like the song says, on His promises. Amen. And He says, my sojourning. Canaan is full of rebels, it's full of Ammonites and Agites and Perizzites and all the Eites are in that 
town in that country in Canaan land. And he has not possessed the land for his inheritance yet. So he's walking through and say, I am sojourning through. In verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Here, verse 10, he blesses him again and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land. In the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded, and Joseph provided for his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. You'll see in verse number 12 that they were rationed to food according to their dependents. He didn't give everybody too much or just because he was a, a, a person of authority and power within Egypt. He didn't abuse it. He rationed them because there was the, the famine was so severe as we're getting ready to break it down in chapter 47, verse 13. The next few verses we're going to see. In fact, it's the last, all of the rest of the chapter. We'll read it together right now. That Joseph, Joseph saves the people eventually. In verse 13, now there was no food at all in the land. For the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan land, uh, Canaan languished by the reason of the famine. That not only that the, the famine affected Egypt, but also Canaan. That it, it, it was almost a global famine. And we see in verse 14, And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grain that they had brought. And Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house. Already we see the blessing from Joseph taking place to Pharaoh. The money is all being soaked up by Pharaoh because of the work and the vision of Joseph. Truly the blessings upon Pharaoh are being seen in this chapter. In verse 15, And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. The economy has now collapsed in the middle of this famine. Remember, it was seven years. The famine has now caused total monetary collapse. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you're Wonderful dollar was worth nothing. Verse 16, And Joseph answered, Give me your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So now he takes their animals. No, he doesn't take their animals. They give their animals. It's either you give the camel or starve to death. And I don't believe that nobody here will want to hold on to that old mangy camel if you don't have bread in your house. Verse 17 said they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Joseph had the means of keeping the livestock alive. He had the vaults. You have to remember back in verse four, chapter 44, as they gathered the grain, they quit counting that they had so much, so he had enough to sustain the nation's livestock. Verse 18, And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from our Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of our livestock are all my Lord's. There is nothing left at the side of my Lord but our bodies and our land. And we see in verse 18 that they call him Lord, not a capital L as we call it in, in the Bible as it stands for Lord God, but Lord as someone who is superior, one who is in authority and power over their lives. They say we have no more money, we have no more livestock. 
but our bodies and our land. In verse 19, why should we die before both our eyes, before both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. We with our land will be your servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we might live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So verse 20, we see that Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for the Pharaoh and all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on, on them and the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them. From one end of Egypt to the other, only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had a fixed allowance from the Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that the Pharaoh gave them and therefore did not sell their land. We see in verse number 20 that Joseph now has the land, he has the livestock, he has the money, and finally he has the person. And the rest of the chapter we'll see where Joseph implements that he'll give them seed to sow into the land that they can produce food for themselves. This is the first feudal system that you'll see. Feudal system is where the government owns everything. Now Pharaoh owns all the land, all the people, the crops, everything but the priest. And at this point he'll say, you can take one-fifth of it and give it to the house of Pharaoh and the rest you'll live on. That is 20%. Even this deity or someone who believes he's a god implements a tax on the people and it's a higher tax than that that we see in the Old Testament of the people of Israel who have to tithe. Some people still look at this as uh, they're tithing as it was a tax. They look at this as like that, that the very person who gave them the seed now requires something back from them. And they look at tithing the same way. God gave you that job and now you have to give one-tenth. You do it begrudgingly. But that's not even biblical. You know that, right? For 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he tells you that God loves a cheerful giver. He says, look into your own heart and those who want to give more, give more. Those who want to give less, give less. But God loves a cheerful giver because you're not under law. You're not under tithe. You're not, we just use that word because everybody knows what it means. But you are to give whatever you see fit, what's in your heart to give because it's in the Bible. The Old Testament tithe has passed away. They gave one-tenth. You are under grace. God says give whatever you want under grace. But don't let it be in your heart that a person under the law gave 10% and they outgive you because they were under the law and the law couldn't do anything but kill you. And you are under grace. You are free. Set free. Free indeed. Amen. So give. But give not out of obligation. Not give because you have to. Give because you get to. Give. Give to this church. Give to ministries outside this church. You certainly won't hear that in other churches where the preacher says, hey, if somebody needs help, help them. Give to other churches. Give to other ministries. Do, do what God has called and had the Holy Spirit move across your heart to do. Be faithful to Him and listen to His increments and His, His movements and tell you that you should give to that or do that. Honor God with a cheerful heart because He's giving you so much. You don't have to tithe. You get to. And if you decide tomorrow not to 
give any more money here at Riverside. That's all right. God's going to provide for me and my family. Yeah, I draw a salary, but God's going to provide for me. He already has, and he will continue to do so. Amen, somebody. If you want to put it to the test, let's do it. Thank you, Jesus. He is faithful. But I want you to notice here that now Joseph and Pharaoh own the people. They are called servants here. And you'll see in verse 20, I believe they're called servants. They're bond servants. This is the Hebrew word delos. Delos. It means servant or slave. This is a person who is owned by someone else. This is a person who, whose responsibility is to please the person that owns them. And I know it's 8 o'clock and I'll finish up and go quickly here. But Pharaoh now owns all the people. He owns the land. He owns the livestock. He has all the money. He has all the food. Our Jesus is also our Lord and Savior. He don't want your car. He don't want your house. He don't want your livestock. He don't want your, he don't want your income. He wants you. It goes in reverse order here as we see in chapter 47. First, they gave their livestock. They gave their money. They gave their, their, they gave their, their, their livestock. And then they gave themselves and their property. God doesn't care how many acres you own. It's His anyway. God don't care what kind of car you drive. Jesus don't care if, if you live in a big house or a small house. He don't want your tithe. He wants you. He wants your heart. Amen. You are to be a bondservant, a slave to Christ. Sold into Him. For you're either a slave to sin, death, hell, and the grave. You worship that. You live for that. You work towards those things. Or you're a slave to Christ. You're a slave to Him. You do what honors Him. You live your life to lift up His name. And honestly, I'm going to be honest here. I'm one of His worst slaves. I, I'm about the sorry slave is God. I'm just going to be honest with you. That I don't try to please Him all the time. I, I drop the ball quite often. I'm just being transparent here. I don't trust Him and I don't please Him. And it's a wonder that He hasn't put me down. But He shows grace and mercy towards me. Me too, brother. Amen. Me too, brother. But we are to be His bondservants. Sold into Him. There was a story in Germany. These blonde-haired, blue-eyed little boys, they would hear the gospel preached and over in Germany around this time, I believe it was around the 1600s, they would, they would actually have slave blocks. And everybody knows what that is, where there's a block and they would do an auction. And they would bring in African Americans, or they weren't Americans, but they will bring in the Africans in. And they would go ahead and, and, and auction them off. And they'll walk up and bid on the Africans. And they would take them out to the Caribbean. And they will be slaves on a slave island to work for the, the, the plantations there. But then these people in the community, they heard that those people on that island have never heard the gospel. They heard that people there had never heard the stories of Jesus Christ. So in Germany, this little village, the young men, the little boys, blonde hair, blue eyed, would go to these auctions. They would step up on the auction block next. And the auctioneer would say, well, what are you doing? He says, I want to be sold into slavery. Gasp will come over the crowd as this fair-skinned young man was going to be sold into slavery. 
Now, slave bidders will walk up and check their mouths, open their mouths, poke them in the ribs, and put a bid on them and buy them into slavery. And they say, well, who do we give the money to? Because they were free. They said, well, give the money to him because he was a free man or a free child. And he would take the money, take the money to his pastor and give the money to the pastor and say, I'm sold into slavery. And it's a one-way ticket to this island. And I'm going to go there and preach the gospel to those slaves. When I get there, take that money for the next young man who will come and sell himself into slavery. They'll get on a boat, kiss their families goodbye. They would never see them again. They would sell themselves into slavery to go to the slave island to tell people the story of Jesus Christ. Selling themselves into slavery. And doesn't Ephesians tell us you were bought with a price? Not of diamonds and gold, 401k plans, the dollar bill, by the precious blood of Jesus. You have been bought with a price. You are His slave. You belong to Him. You are His. So what kind of slave are you tonight? Those young men, they had a symbol. Their symbol was an ox and an altar. And in the middle it says, they, they had an unspoken rule. They would always say when you get over to the island, when you're a slave and they put that iron collar on you, make sure you get in the middle. As there's three rows as they would plow the land. They didn't have any oxen so they used men. And they would put the young man, the little fair skinned man would get in the middle. And as he's pulling that, that, uh, that, the, the, the ox carts and he would pull the, the plow, he would tell the gospel to the other slaves around him. They say always get in the middle because that's where you will glorify our Lord the most. They sold themselves into slavery and positioned them in a place where they can preach the gospel. So slave, doulos, the Hebrew word slave, bondservant, one who is sold into slavery. You are a slave to Jesus Christ. Whether you go to your job, you're sitting in a cubicle, you are a slave to Christ. Bring glory to His name. Whether you're standing in an office or you're on top of the roof swinging a hammer, no matter where He places you, you are His slave. Make much of His name and make sure that He is pleased. For you are not your own. You are a slave to Jesus Christ. Amen. And maybe today you don't fare well with that. You don't like that idea. Let me tell you, I'd rather be His slave than a slave to the world or Satan or even my own self-slave. For they are vicious, wicked slave owners. And they will use you, ruin you, and destroy you. But He is a gracious Master. Amen. He is a kind Master. He's gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. You're serving one or the other today. You're either serving hell and yourself, or you're serving Christ in heaven. So slave, whichever one you work for, Serve your master well. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father, this day, on this beautiful Wednesday night, I pray that somebody's heart is stirred tonight by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Lord, we are sold into slavery. We are bought with a price. Just like Joseph bought the property. He, brought the, he bought the, the livestock. He, brought, he bought the person. And now he is the Lord of all the land. Our God is, who reigns forevermore is our Lord. And he didn't buy the property and the land with the flour and bread. But Lord, you bought it with the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, that I might serve you well. Lord, I might exalt your name and be at the post you position me in that I will not complain. 
that I will serve you like a delos, the Hebrew word for slave, that Lord, I am your slave. And it's your responsibility to house me, to feed me, and to keep me. And whatever you see fit to do with me, Lord, you don't even need permission for, Lord, you own me. So, Lord, I pray that I'll exalt your name, that I'll lift you up, that many will know of your great works and your mercy by my testimony, that, Lord, you would save others and buy them out of slavery and bring them into the house of grace and mercy. In your most precious name we pray. Amen.